Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. This is an episode I've been wanting to do for a really long time. I've reached out to them a couple times over the past few years, and no one ever gets back to me. So I decided to tell the story anyways, with good old-fashioned research and a lot of reading. And I mean a lot. There's so much information about Myrtle's plantation, it's almost overwhelming. It's been mentioned up teen times that the plantation and the land it's on is one of the most haunted locations in the United States, partially the reason for my obsession. But also, I became fascinated by the stories of the hauntings a long time ago when I found out that one of my four times great-grandfathers, Haley, your fifth time great-grandfather, Virgil Burke was born and raised in Louisiana, which of course made me more fascinated by the plantations of Louisiana. Nestled in the heart of St. Francisville, Louisiana, the Myrtles Plantation is not just a relic of the past. It's a place steeped in history and shrouded in mystery. This Southern Gothic gem, known for its stunning architecture and haunting tales, has earned a reputation as one of the most haunted places in the U.S. The 22-room plantation was built in 1796 by General David Bradford, known also as Whiskey Dave for his part in the Whiskey Rebellion. The name of the home was originally Laurel Grove. The spacious home with a 125-foot veranda, you would love it, Haley. The veranda, like, wraps around the whole house. I don't think I know what a veranda is. A porch? Yeah, you know how you love horses. Yeah. <laughs> the spacious home with a 125-foot veranda was decked out in the finest furnishings from Europe. General Bradford and his wife and five children lived there until his death in 1808. His wife ran the plantation on her own for nine more years before handing the house over to her daughter and son-in-law, Clark Woodrift, in 1831. But after the death of Sarah, his wife and his two children, Clark and his surviving daughter would move and eventually sell the home to a guy, now get this name, Ruffin Gray Sterling. And it's so weird, like, with a name like that. His name is seriously Ruffin, R-U-F-F-I-N. And Sterling is spelled different than, like, Sterling Silver. It's S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G. With a name like that, you'd think you'd be able to find newspaper articles or anything on Amazon on Ancestry, and there's nothing. Yeah. Anyways, he and his wife, Mary Cobb, took over the property in 1834. The Sterlings were the ones that changed the name from Laurel Grove to Myrtle's Plantation after a plant that grew on the property. They also doubled the size of the home and then furnished it with the finest Europe had to offer. The home survived the Civil War, but the furnishings did not. After a raid on the farm during the war, what wasn't stolen was destroyed. After the war, which comes into play later on, because there's a piece of furnishing that they say has been in there since 1796. After the war, Mary hired her lawyer, William Winters, to manage the home. Winters ended up marrying her daughter, Sarah, and the home changed ownership for a short time, but was purchased back and stayed with the Sterling family until 1886. Since then, it's changed hands many times over the years. One of the enduring legends surrounding Myrtle's plantation 
is its reputation as being one of the most haunted places in America. Numerous ghostly encounters and eerie happenings have been reported by guests and staff alike. But what or who is responsible for all these paranormal occurrences? The most famous ghost at Myrtle's is Chloe. Have you ever heard the story of Chloe? No. Have you ever heard of Myrtle's Plantation before? I don't think so. I swear I I thought I had even talked to you about it. Just because it's one of the... It's, I feel like it's the most talked about plantation in the paranormal world. And I'm kind of surprised by that because I feel like, I mean, there's not a lot of surviving plantations because of the Civil War. A lot of them are burned down or destroyed, but there is still a lot of them. And you would think if there were hauntings in homes across America, that plantations would be high on the list of being haunted. Do you know what yeah. I mean? There's such tragedy and ugliness at a plantation that I'm kind of survived that. I'm kind of surprised that Myrtles is the only one that's always talked about. Um, the most famous ghost, going back to the story, is Chloe. And the legend says that she was a slave once owned by Clark and Sarah Woodruff. Apparently, and this is a this is a story. There's actually two, but this is one of them. Apparently, Chloe was known as an eavesdropper. Why she listened to conversation, no one knows. People believe that one of the reasons was that she thought that by listening to conversations, she could make herself more valuable to the family, like know what was coming up or know what they needed or things. Um, Others think that she did it so that she would have something to use against them if she needed it. She would listen a lot to his business dealings that were being done in the house when other men would come and talk about things. Um, Other people say she was just nosy and she just liked to listen in. But one day, Clark Woodruff found Chloe listening to a conversation through a keyhole. And if you watch any of the shows where the the staff explains it, they go into full-on detail, which I'm not sure how they could after so many years. I mean, it's been a story that's been passed down a million times. Uh, The story that they tell is that Clark Woodruff didn't, Technic- he was in a meeting in one of his, his parlors, the men's parlor, and it was sliding doors, you know, like almost like barn doors that you see now. Yeah. And there was a keyhole and she was kneeling on the ground with her ear left, her right ear, or left, it doesn't matter, ear against the door. And one of the gentlemen that was standing by the door decided to walk out and open the door and Chloe actually fell into the room. And that's how she was found eavesdropping that sounds so specific to me to be able to tell that story hundreds of years later so i'm not sure that's really accurate but the legend goes that clark woodruff somehow found out that she was listening so as a punishment he chopped off her ear oh my god and then on top of it on top of the horror of having your ear chopped off they made her wear a turban for basically the rest of her life so that no one else had to look at the chopped off ear yeah (laughs) Yeah, so gross. Because of her, of what she did, she was banished from the house and forced to work in a different capacity. Some say that she was um, banished to outside the house, which if you worked inside a plantation would be a better job than working outside. Um, Others say that she was banished to work in the kitchen, which in New Orleans during the heat of the summer, working in the kitchen had to be a horrible situation too it was hot and humid and gross but it makes the most sense that she had been working in the kitchen when this next part happened 
she had figured out that a, that a way to get back in with the family was to sort of make herself seem valuable to them. So she had the idea that for one of the children's birthdays, she would be the one that would bake the cake. She chose to put oleander leaves in the cake, which is super poisonous. I don't know. Do you know anything about the oleander? You can see those plants places still, but apparently even the smallest amount could make you violently ill. So wait, did she know this when she was doing it? Why was this? Yeah, she knew that it would make you sick, but her thought was that if she made the mistress of the house and the children sick and she cared for them, she would get back in the good graces and they would love her and bring her back to work in the house again. What she didn't know is that there's a, it's a period it's poisonous, but in a smaller dose, it might make you violently ill in a, in a larger dose it will actually kill you. And she's feeding it to small children too. That's the crazy part is that she didn't, she had this idea that she thought was brilliant that she could poison them, nurse them back to health and be a revered part of the household. But what she didn't know is that she was using way too much. What ended up happening is that it killed Sarah and the two children that ate the cake. The other slaves found out what happened and they were the ones that hung Chloe from a tree and then threw her in the Mississippi River. Some say they did it because there were two thought processes. They thought she did it because they didn't like that she was allowing the woman of the house to basically take the blame for what she did. That someone else who didn't do it would be mercifully punished for killing the family. Um, The other thought process is that by them killing her or taking her life, they spared her of what would have happened to her had the family found out that she did it. So no one really knows what happened. I mean, but that kind of makes you sick to the stomach that death is better than what she would have gone through had she survived. Yeah. Um, It's said that Chloe's restless spirit is who roams the plantation seeking for forgiveness for her misdeeds. Guests and staff alike claimed to see a dark-skinned woman walking the grounds in the house of the plantation wearing a green turban with a sad smile on her face. Naysayers say there's no record of the Woodruffs even owning a slave named Chloe. So I went on a search myself because, frankly, the thing is, is they could have owned a slave named Chloe because none of the records that I could find for Clark Woodruff, they listed one Slave schedule and slave schedules in in Ancestry.com, if you don't know, it will list the owner's name and then it will list how many slaves based on um, color and based on um, age, like male zero to 10 or male 11 to 18. So then and it'll have like a little dash marks, like one or two or three or four, whatever for the ages. So they didn't actually list in any of those. They didn't list the names of the slaves. Most of the time that you can find, there are other states that did slave schedules where they would list the first name of the slave, which were not typically even their names or names that they made up, and then write their age and where they were born and things like that. But in Louisiana, their slave schedules of 1830, 40, 50, and 60 were all just kind of dash marks next to the age and the gender. So there is no listing that I could find in the slave schedule that had any names. So a lot of people are saying, oh, no, 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 the stories, 
bullshit because they can't find a slave owned by them by the name of Chloe. The only place that it might have showed a name, and I haven't found it yet, is if they had his will online because his will would have left disgustingly enough he would have left his furniture his any of his belongings any of his books and sadly his slaves would have been listed by name of who he was bequeathing them to i couldn't find anything like that anywhere the other thing that's it really strange is that the parents were buried in a place called hope mausoleum in new orleans but neither of these supposed children that they that died the same day from the cake were even I can't find them in the mausoleum. So if his wife would have died and he would have buried her, you would think he would have buried his children in the same place. Right? Yeah. I mean, why I mean, would he bury his children anywhere else? Yeah. I mean I thought back then you usually buried your family on property. So I'm surprised they're in a mausoleum. No, it's actually a mausoleum, but um, I don't understand why if they died the same time, and this is the other confusing thing, is that the legend has always been that she, the cake, that the mom, Sarah, and her two daughters ate the cake. I can't find any record for that. There's people that have the Woodruffs in their family tree, and they list a Cornelia and a James dying the same year as their mom. Not not two girls. It's a boy and a girl. And um, neither one of them are buried in the mausoleum. A lot of people say that they didn't die from the cake. They died from yellow fever. Which, yellow fever was an outbreak for 67 summers between 1800 and 1900 in New Orleans. The biggest breakout in St. Francisville, which is not New Orleans... Didn't happen until 1825. They supposedly died in 1824. And speaking of that, do you know what yellow fever is? I mean, other than it being a sickness, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what it is. It, well, first of all, it's for mosquitoes. Um, they didn't know that, though, when they first thought that... When, they, when the yellow fever first started, they thought it was like sort of an airborne disease from like sewage and stuff like that. So they would shoot cannons in the air thinking that the smoke and the chemicals from, you know, shooting cannons would make the air clean again, which is so weird. And then they ended up finding that yellow fever actually was transmitted by mosquitoes. But the, this is the grossness of it. it the, the disease would progress really, really fast. And when they died, they would have a high fever. It was called yellow fever because they would turn jaundice like a yellow yellowy color it would cause internal bleeding seizures shock organ failure and death and it they would legitimately um their they would start bleeding from the inside out so blood would come from their eyes and their nose and their ears they would um vomit blood it was a really violent violent death and it really has nothing to do with the story other than people say that she and her kids died from yellow fever. I don't think, I mean, I can't even find that they both existed other than Cornelia. And I really can't find where either of them are buried unless they were buried. I mean, it could have been that they were buried actually in the same coffin with their moms and their names are not listed. 
that seems weird to me, but that could have been it. During the antebellum period, um, the pre-Civil War war period, most of the deaths were caused by cholera, smallpox, smallpox, malaria, or yellow fever. And the thing is, I just, I don't think that yellow fever is a definitive answer to how they passed. I don't think the cake is a definitive answer to how they passed. I can't even confirm that either of them really existed. And the house could have other records than what I can find. But I, I don't know. I found their third daughter who was Mary Octavia. Um, she's listed everywhere and ended up living until the late 1880s. So I do not know if the cake story is real, if the skeptics claiming that it was yellow fever is real. I don't know any of that, um, but a little bit off to- topic. I did find a weird census with an Octavia Woodruff that was married to a C. Woodruff and her dad was C. Woodruff. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, if I were getting enough time, I'll look into that. But the thing is, is there's no way to know if the story of Chloe and the poison cake is true. But I find doing as much research as I do in legends, every legend starts with a grain of truth. So somewhere in the story or legend of Chloe is what really happened. What we do know is that there's been many sightings of a spirit who they refer to as Chloe roaming the halls in the veranda of the Myrtles Plantation. In fact, in 1992, and I'll have this picture on our website, in 1992, or linked to the picture, the owner of the plantation was snapping pictures of the buildings for insurance purposes. In the center of the photo is what looks like a woman leaning on the wall, wearing a turban. And to be honest, the picture is compelling. It's really hard to deny that it actually looks like someone standing there. In fact, a photo was sent to the National Geographic who says the photo shows no signs of being tampered with. And I kind of want you to look it up right now. Can you look it up? Um, picture of Chloe, C-H-L-O-E, at Myrtle's Plantation. It should come up with a picture of a red circle. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it not look like there's a woman standing, leaning against the building? Yeah. And it really is important to note that National Geographic says that the photo wasn't tampered with. Okay. Did they really catch a picture of, of someone, of a spirit? Why couldn't that just also be a real person? Does it look like a real person, though? It really doesn't. It's more flattened than a real person. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it looks a little flat. I guess. I also, to be the skeptic here. Shocking. Don't you, I feel, talking about how all of these stories come out and you can't validate it, blah, blah, blah. And then this picture where people are saying it looks like this girl's wearing a turban. I feel like stories are created off of evidence that's found. Well, this story started way before 1992 when that photo was taken. The stories have been around for a hundred years. This is not a new story. I also don't, I don't know. I hate pictures like this because like you can't tell what that is. Like, yes, clearly it's a like person standing there, but to say it's someone wearing a turban or, to me, it looks like someone wearing a mask, like a COVID mask. mask. Well, this is 1992, so it wasn't a COVID mask. <laughs> but that's what that looks like to me. And then someone that just doesn't have hair. Like, I don't know if I would say, oh, it's someone standing there with a turban. It is still, 
an interesting photo considering the legend has been around for a really long time. They've talked about it and I'm, I'm going to say it again. I'm a firm believer that legends have a grain of truth in them. That's how they start. It depends on how far it goes and how many translations and tellings there are to how many times it really changes. But I just, there's just been so many sightings by people that work there, by people that visit there of the same thing over and over and over again. And then this picture pops up in 1992 that kind of, you know, does it definitively say that Chloe really was there? She really wore a turban. Her ear was really cut off and she's still at the plantation. No, it doesn't say it definitively, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. If you're a paranormal researcher or you're interested in proving the paranormal, it's not. And it's cracking me up that you're still staring at it. Well, I'm looking at different ones. Sorry, I got distracted. The other pictures of the plantation itself? Yeah, but the other version, I think the picture is just hard to see in general. I mean, it's not. Picture was taken, what, in the 90s? (laughs) I mean, and she had it. She didn't know. She didn't. She said no one was standing there when she took the picture. And she didn't. No one noticed it. Even right away when they first got the, the images back for the insurance company. It was a while before someone noticed that, that someone was standing there. I mean, it's a pretty, like, I feel like you don't see a lot of photo evidence of this stuff where it's as clear as there's someone standing there. It's not and, clear as in the fact that it was taken in the 90s and cameras weren't that great, but it's clear in the fact that there's someone standing there. Right. The other legend is actually the the one for sure recorded death. There was another death, but we'll talk about it in a little bit. But this one, they know it was written about in papers and stuff. The... um. It happened at the plantation is that of William Winter, who was the second or third owner after the Bradfords. It was the one who was um, the lawyer and ended up marrying the daughter. The story goes that while teaching a Bible study class in the main house, William was called to the front door for a visitor. When he arrived, he looked out into the darkened porch, identifying himself as William Winter and that he was a lawyer after being asked by someone in the dark. The stranger then shot him. The legend is that he turned and climbed the stairs, attempting to get to his wife, Sarah. He didn't make it past the 17th step. He died there right from his wounds. Other tellings of what happened is that he made it to his wife and died in her arms, never knowing who shot him. And the funny thing is, is like the the sightings in the house is always, always, and this again is getting really specific on a story that was told, you know, over a hundred years later, is that very specifically the 17th step. Like he made it to 17th step and he died. The funny thing is, is that when I was searching last night, there's an article on find a grave dated January 28th, 1871. And I'm going to read it to you because this is an actual article written in 1871. It becomes my painful duty as your correspondent from this parish to acquaint you with the particulars of one of the most diabolical murders ever committed in this state. Mr. William D. Winter, residing about three miles from this place on Woodville Road, was called to his front door by some person unknown on the night of the 26th at about seven and a half o'clock, which is kind of funny. They said seven and a half. And he appeared at the door of his city room. There being no one in sight, he requested to know who wished to see him. And at that instant, a double barrel gun was discharged at him loaded with seven large buckshot, six of which took effect upon his person, five in the breast and one in his neck, killing him instantly upon his stand. He fell and expired instantly without uttering a word. 
It is supposed the party firing was on horseback, bringing his gun on level with Mr. Winter's body, as his gallery is quite elevated from the ground. And um, this is a side note. The house is actually higher than ground level in descriptions of the ar architecture. It's mentioned that the house is built on stilts or a raised foundation. So basically someone on horseback would be even with someone standing in a doorway. The article continues, this barbarian, this barbarous assassination has filled our whole people with sorrow and indignation. Suspicion is abroad and it is hoped the guilty party or parties will be arrested. Mr. Winter was an eminent lawyer and most worthy citizen. He leaves a wife and five children to mourn this cruel dispensation, this cruel dispensation of providence. He was buried yesterday, his remains being attended to the cemetery by this place by a large concourse of sorrowing and sympathizing friends. Now I'm not suggesting that the article is more correct than the legend. The legend is that he died on the 17th step, died in his wife's arms. The article is specifically going into detail to describe that he was shot six times, five in the breast and one in the neck and died instantly on the spot. So it's contrasting a newspaper article is clearly contrasting with the, what the legend is, but reporting in those days was a lot like the game of telephone. Like the reporter wouldn't have been in a van on the freeway getting to the location, right? When it happened, it wasn't like he even, probably heard about it for many days after it happened and it would have been a story told to him. So I'm not suggesting that the article is more accurate than the legend. There's no way to know. Either way, the man that has been seen is always referred to Mr. Winter. Whenever they see um, staff and guests alike have seen a man struggling up the stairs and then disappearing at the 17th step. And the thing is, I can't find any information that his murder was definitively solved. I found an article that five men were arrested for his murder. And then on, I found another article dated June of 1871 um, that reads, E.L. Weber and George Swartz were suspected of the murder of William Winter. Both were examined on Saturday last. The inquiry ended on Monday, resulting in a discharge from custody, the evidence not being sufficiently strong to justify commitment for trial. It is hoped the veil will it is hoped the veil will yet be lifted which shall expose the actors in this dreadful deed of blood. So from what I can find his murder was never solved. Um, maybe he died instantly on the spot, maybe he climbed to the seventh step to perish there. Either way, if it is William, maybe he can't rest because his murder was never solved. Other legends of the plantations is about a mirror located in the house. When I first read about the mirror, I didn't take it very seriously because the first article I read said the mirror was only 14 years old, which I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. There's so much information out there. The mirror is located in the house and supposedly holds the spirits of Sarah and his, her dead children. It was a practice at the time. I don't know. Did you know this during funerals of this time that they would always cover all the mirrors in the house? Yeah. If a body was in that, if a body was displayed in the house, whether they died somewhere else or not, or if the death happened in the house, the mirrors were all covered. It was a belief that um, a mirror could, if, if the body was reflected in the mirror in any way, shape or form, it could trap the soul there forever. And it is believed that this mirror holds the spirits of all three of them, the, the children and the mom. 
the mirror was supposedly original to the house. Um, what's really weird is all the stuff I read said that the mirror was brand new. And when I was watching one of the TV shows, one of the tour guides um, said that the mirror was actually original to 1791. I have two problems with that. First, the mirror is a big, giant mirror. If it was original to the house, that means it's one of the things which I've heard not very many things survive the Civil War. Why did this? Why was this mirror left there through the Civil War when everything else was stolen or destroyed by right. the mirror? It could have maybe been purchased after the Civil War. I, I don't know. I don't. It's not. I don't know. It's hard to believe that the mirror looks very old from what I saw. And in the mirror, and this is very, very clear, there's a print of a footprint, like a small footprint. You can actually see the toes, like almost like if you step in the sand. And there is a very tiny handprint. And if you look at it from a certain angle, you can see a silhouette of a person. They claim that they have had this mirror resilvered 10 times over the last 100 years. And within a year these handprints and silhouette come back in the same exact spot. They've tried to clean the mirror. If you clean the mirror, you might get them to disappear, but they automatically come back. But they're specifically saying even having it re-silvered, like re-mirrored, it still comes back, which I don't know. That's pretty compelling also. Yeah, it's creepy actually. The plantation is also reportedly haunted by a young girl who died in 1868, despite being treated by a local voodoo prince practitioner. She supposedly appears in the room in which she died, which she died in William Winter's room. There are reports of Sarah and William Winter losing a daughter named Kate, which this I can confirm. The other ones I really couldn't confirm. There is very clearly records on Kate Winter um, she died in actually 1861, and I believe she died of typhoid fever at the age of three. They say that she haunts her room. A lot of people get the sound of a little girl. Um, people have said that they've actually seen a little girl, which I, that to me, if I don't know. I'm always like the person that if you're going to say a location is haunted, if you can match up a death with what is actually matching the accounts of the people i tend to believe it a little bit more mm-hmm. and a lot of people have seen this little girl also during the course of the civil war union soldiers were said to have pillaged the house we talked about that and according to local lore three individuals lost their lives within the walls during that time no idea of who these people were that died were they other soldiers were they slaves that were trying to protect the house i don't know but it's rumored that there still exists a permanent blood stain in one of the doorways, roughly resembling the shape of a human body. It's been impossible to clean. Additionally, there are tales of cleaning personnel encountering difficulties when attempting to maneuver, maneuver their mops and brooms into that particular area. So, I don't know. I they I haven't seen it on one of the TV shows, so I don't know about the blood spot. And then outside in a man-made pond, visitors have captured the shape of a Confederate soldier in photographs. All I don't know. I think Myrtles has survived a long time, you know, based on their paranormal activity. Almost every single TV show has been there. Anybody who does ghost investigations has been invited in. 
So even though some of the things I can't confirm with actual records, too many, the picture of the picture of the turban, the lady in the turban and the mirror. And I think the mirror kind of trips me out more than the photo. Yeah. The mirror trips me out for sure. And then there's one last thing. And this is the thing that's always bugged me. And we've talked about this before that when anybody has any kind of hauntings, they automatically say that's an Indian burial ground. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, that's just common. People say that all the time about everything. This residence also is believed to have been constructed atop um, an Indian burial site. And there have been accounts of sightings of a spirit belonging to a young Native American woman. I haven't heard that as often as I've heard the other ones. I don't know why they would need to pile on. Yeah. To me, they have enough enough activity and, and quote-unquote evidence that they don't need to add to the story. And I have not been able to determine if for sure it was Native American land, although, I mean, all the land was, so it's hard to say that it wasn't or was or wasn't. Myrtle's Plantation stands as a testament to the art architectural and historical significance of antebellum south today the property serves as a bed and breakfast welcoming guests to stay in the haunted mansion and take guided tours would you stay there sure i mean you say that like you don't believe any of the hauntings like it doesn't bother you not really because nothing sounds scary or yeah i mean i think if something was like scary or harmful then i'd be like yeah maybe not but I also just don't totally believe that it happens until I see it. So I would give it a chance. <laughs> you would you would go say I would go say there just because how beautiful it is. I mean in the grand scope of plantations, it's not the most opulent plantation that is still standing. It's still beautiful and it's still, you know, historic and it had a lot of things happen there. And so I mean, just the theory that tragedy and passion and great acts of whatever can cause hauntings. I believe four walls can, can hold the past, whether it's intelligent hauntings or just the residual hauntings. But I mean, I think four walls can, can hold on to that. It's just always how I'm going to believe. You know? yeah. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, there's no denying the mysteries of the historic Myrtle's plantation. Whether it's intelligent hauntings or relics of the past replaying the tragedies that happened there over and over again, there's one thing for certain. The past never truly rests at Myrtle's Plantation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.